Open your Bible at three places with me right quick, if you will, please. The book of Mark, chapter 11. Mark, chapter 11. As soon as you get your place there, go to Luke, chapter 11. Mark 11, Luke 11, and Ephesians 4. Mark 11, Luke 11, Ephesians 4. Now, through February, the series has been Forgiveness February. Forgiveness February, all month long, I'm talking about forgiveness. They just sung about it. And today, the subject is overcoming bitterness. Overcoming bitterness. You say, why would you preach on that? Well, because everybody needs to understand that at one time or another, I think, don't you? And so, if I missed you today, it was accidental. Uh, my my uh, bow is pulled and my arrow is set on every heart here because at some time in your life, you or I are going to have to know how to forgive people and bitterness will creep into our hearts. Mark chapter 11, we begin in verse 24. Therefore, I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray. Now, we've been emphasizing prayer, haven't we? When you pray, not if you pray. Believe, and we've been emphasizing faith, so we got it all there in one verse. Whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive. Note that phrase. It could not be simpler. As you pray, before you pray, in your prayer, forgive if you have all against anyone, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. And if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Now, he was speaking here to Christians. He's not speaking to the unsaved. Your salvation is not dependent, we talked about that last week, on your practicing Christian graces. But in this passage, he's telling the disciples how to maintain their fellowship with him. And it's contingent upon me not having aught in my heart toward others. Mark 11, then Luke 11, verse 2 He said, when you pray, and he's teaching here the Lucan version of the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Forgive us our sins. We forgive everyone who is indebted to us. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, Ephesians 4 and 30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. These are all forms of bitterness and anger. 
And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. And here's the heart of what I'm teaching today. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Thank you. You may be seated. Year before last, I think the month was September, a Dallas police officer named Amber Geiger went to the 13th floor or the, the 14th floor of her apartment building. She actually lived on the 13th floor, but she mistakenly went one floor up to the apartment that was in the same place as her apartment. She put her key in the door, turned it, the door opened, and inside she saw a 26-year-old man, Botham Jean, Botham Jean, an immigrant from San Lucia Island down the Caribbean. And Botham Jean was sitting on the couch eating a bowl of ice cream. She pulled out her service revolver and shot him and killed him. She was charged with murder. She claimed it was a mistake. She just had gone to the wrong apartment, but there's a mystery. Why did the door open? There's some things that are, some questions unanswered about the whole situation. But she killed the man. She was put on trial, and she was convicted of murder. And a few months ago, probably three or four months ago now only, you saw on the news channels, if you were watching, because it made all the headlines, the strangest thing that anybody had ever seen in a courtroom was occurring. Botham Jean, the man pictured up here, had a young lad who was his brother, 18 years old. His name was Brant Jean. I think they pronounce it John. It's the French, but you won't care today. So Brant John was testifying at the sentencing. And he turned to the judge and he says, as a Christian, I'm obligated, I want to forgive her for killing my brother. And the judge listened as he continued and he went on and he said, I have forgiven her in my heart. Would it be permissible, your honor, if I were to go and give her a hug? The judge said, well, that's up to her. The woman nodded assent and he went over and embraced her, and she's weeping profusely. It's an incredible emotional scene in that courtroom. As he told her over and over, I forgive you for killing my brother. Now, the judge then, who was a Christian, did something that nobody had ever seen before. The judge herself stood up, walked off of the bench, took her Bible with her, and went down and began to show Amber Geiger scriptures relating to forgiveness and talked to her for two or three, four minutes and then embraced her and gave her the Bible. This is my personal Bible, but I'm going to give it to you. I want you to take it to prison, and I want you to study it, and I want you to find the Lord Jesus Christ there. Wow, that was one of the most powerful things I think I've ever seen. But then the criticism started from the secular media, as you might suppose. The criticism was, 
Well, you can't practice justice and, and mix it with forgiveness. At the courthouse, we practice justice. We disperse justice. It's not a place of mercy and grace. But the judge, obviously a Christian, and Brant John, the deceased, the murdered man's brother, were both Christians, and they believed you could, in fact, practice both. Now, the law can't, the state can't, but as individuals, of course, they could. And what a moving scene. I'll never forget it. I watched it that evening uh, on the news. It touched my heart so deeply because they understood something that how I wish every one of us would deeply understand it, and it's this, that Christianity is a religion of forgiveness. Christianity, above everything else, is a religion of forgiveness. It gives people a second chance. It allows people to start over in their life. And Christianity understands that God's forgiveness is based on the cross. We read the passage there that God forgives us for Christ's sake, for Christ's sake. God practices justice, and he punished Christ on the cross so that he might extend to us grace. And so for Christ's sake, God can forgive us. Now, the reason that I'm emphasizing that is, as I've been saying over and over, I want this church to experience its greatest days in the future. I want this church to have revival, a spirit of prayer, a, 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 a hunger to be filled with the Spirit of God by every individual member. I want God to use us and see us win innumerable people to Him in the days ahead. But I know there's something that blocks revival, and people don't realize it, and it is hard feelings and bitterness and anger and a sour attitude toward other people. And I know when a church is as old as we are, we've sailed through the seas of life, and we've picked up some of those barnacles. And if I could get every member of this church to be judgment day honest with me, some of you walk down a different hall because you don't want to see somebody. And some of you left your Sunday school class and went to another one because there's an offense with somebody. And some of you have bad feelings towards people that perhaps did you wrong because Christians can do you wrong. But you know something? There's something we need to understand. If we're going to have God's hand of revival, we've got to be a forgiving people. But not only do you do it to have revival, a spirit of revival in your heart, but let me tell you something else. Listen to me. I'm going to play the, 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 the counselor for just a moment. Listen to me. Don't ever forget this. There is a direct link between your emotional and spiritual health and your willingness to forgive other people. There is a direct link between your emotional and spiritual health and your willingness to forgive other people. So let's look at this subject today a biblical understanding of forgiveness, a biblical understanding. This is what God says about forgiveness. I want you to turn to one more scripture, 
And it's in the book of Hebrews. So you're just turning to the right all the way through here today. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and verse number 15, it says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now mark that verse and mark it well in your Bible. At some point in your life, you'll need to practice that verse, as every one of us shall. Now, look with me. Bitterness here is pictured as a root that's growing in the soil of your heart. Bitterness is pictured as a root, and your heart is the soil surrounding that. Now, where does a root come from? Well, a root had to come from a seed of some sort. And you know what the seed that always begins, the root of bitterness? It's somebody offended me. Somebody hurt me. Somebody did me wrong, and I build up a resentment toward that. It may be one person or many. It might be toward the church. It might be toward the school. It might be toward your employer. Somewhere in life, there's a seed, and it forms into a root of bitterness, an offense has, been, has occurred against you. Now, Dr. Harley, who has been on our staff for several years and is a practicing psychiatrist, and he is right now uh, homebound. He's unable to be with us. But Dr. Harley taught me something that was one of the best things I've ever learned in dealing with people. He said, Pastor, I've dealt with thousands and thousands of patients and there is a progression that happens with people when they don't deal properly with their bitternesses and their wounds and their hurts. And he laid out the progression for me, and it makes so much sense. And so here's a person, they're offended, and this little root of bitterness begins in their heart. First, it's a wounded spirit, and so they sort of brood, they sort of they sort of pout. They sort of distance themselves. You watch people, they'll back up from a friend or from the church or from, from a relationship that they have. They, they move backwards. That wounded spirit develops. And then it forms into this root of bitterness. And that root of bitterness begins to poison the ground, the heart, the soil all around it. And it progresses. So it starts as an offense and there's a wounded spirit, and then it becomes bitterness, and then it becomes anger, and we begin to act it out. And we begin to say angry things to people. We begin to treat them in an angry way. We show our anger. Ultimately, if you don't deal with it at some point, it can even turn into hatred, and then it can turn into rage. What is rage? The Bible talks about wrath, and we, we use the term today rage. And rage is an uncontrollable anger. It's an anger that's totally out of control. And so we hear about road rage. We hear about people doing these really crazy things is that they're just full of bitterness, full of anger, full of hatred. And it just controls them till it gets out of control in their life. Now look with me again at verse 15. I want you to follow it in God's Word. It says, Look diligently, lest any fail of God's grace, lest any root of bitterness spring up. Spring up, and the idea of springing there is growing. 
It's a growing thing. If you don't deal with bitterness and cut it off at the root, it will continue to grow. It springs up. And then notice what he says. It will trouble you. It has its own impact in your heart, the person who is bitter. But it doesn't stop there. Notice what else it says here. And many may be defiled. In other words, it starts in my heart, it troubles me, and then it spreads, and it troubles other people. Other people are defiled. They're touched by it as well. Now, it might start with a significant event. It might be some thing that occurred in your life that is uh, going to affect your life adversely the rest of your days. It might be a life-changing, transforming thing that happens, and you get bitter over it. You're fired from your job, and you can never get a good job, it seems like, again, to replace it. And so it would be easy to get bitter. It might have sprung from a very significant thing, but it also might have come from a very insignificant thing. And a little disagreement between you and a friend. A comment that a teacher made to your child. An embarrassing moment. Maybe an idle word where somebody said something. They just didn't even think about it. But that little seed is there in your heart. And it starts growing. And it troubles you. And it spills out. And it defiles many. Now, if it remains, it's going to be very destructive. It will poison your spirit. It'll sour you towards people or things or events. It will sour your relationships. It will block your fellowship with God. You won't be able to get your prayers answered. You get on your knees and you'll be thinking about that person and that offense. Funny how the conscience works on that. Mark Twain made one of the greatest statements I've I've got two or three things here today that I found in my research, and they just just blow me away with how profound they are. Mark Twain, the philosopher, said this, bitterness like acid will eat up the vessel that contains it. Bitterness like acid will eat up the vessel that contains it. So it'll become very, very destructive in your life. A biblical understanding of bitterness. And these passages give us a great insight to what God thinks about it. So how am I to respond to bitterness? You know, I will admit to you from my own experience and also from my experience dealing with other people now, many people through the years, hundreds, thousands perhaps, Bitterness is really difficult to deal with. You you think you've got it controlled and, and, and you think that it's gone. You've gotten rid of it and then you find out, well, I still don't feel exactly right about that situation or that person. It's very difficult to deal with. C.S. Lewis said, quote, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Isn't that true? I think everybody ought to forgive. But, you know, I've got this little thing here inside of me, (laughs) and it becomes very, very difficult. 
Forgiveness. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And through the years, I've had statements like this. Pastor, I, I know what the Bible says about forgiveness. Preacher, I really want to forgive, but you don't understand. My wife was sleeping with my friend. My husband, preacher, left me with three kids, and we're about to starve to death. We barely can sustain ourselves. Preacher, you don't know what it's like to be abused by your own father. No, I don't. Preacher, a drunken driver put me in this wheelchair for the rest of my life. How would you handle that? Preacher, I was fired, and I was not at fault. I was just not in the in crowd. And now I'm in debt, and I can't find a job as good as the one I had in my family suffering. I know what the Bible says, preacher, but why do I have to have cancer at this age? Or here's the one I like. Well, you ought to try to live with him. Meaning, if you had to live with that bird, you'd be better too, right? <laughs> and sometimes she's right. <laughs> And so these tremendously difficult situations that people deal with, and forgiveness is a wonderful idea until you have a major life-crushing event, and then you have to deal with it, and it is so, so difficult. It's not only difficult, or one of the reasons it's difficult is that it's so unfair. Forgiveness is so unfair because now you got to think with me a minute. It's the one who has been done wrong who has to pay the price. You see, who was wrong, God or us? We sinned against God. Who has to pay the price of forgiveness? God has to pay the price and give His only begotten Son so that we can be forgiven. You see, it's the guilty one who often walks. And so now as a Christian, here I am. Here is Brant John. He's lost his 26-year-old big brother. His big brother was a fine Christian man, I understand. And he's gone forever at the peak of his life, at the peak of his powers. He's been mistakenly killed. And now he looks across the room at the woman who took his life. And what does he say? I can spend the rest of my life with revenge burning inside of me, and it will simply destroy me. It won't hurt her one bit. Or I can act in grace like the Lord acted toward me. And I can, I can act in mercy like God acted toward me. And I can be free. I can be cleansed of the poison that is eating me up. Forgiveness 
is difficult because the one who has been wronged has to pay the price. But we learn something about grace in that, don't we? Because it's God's grace that brought us forgiveness. Many people not only find it difficult, but I found out through counseling with church members and people in general that most bitter people deny they're bitter. And so how many hours have I wasted trying to counsel people and, and say to them lovingly and kindly, look, you're bitter. Oh, no, I'm not bitter. Here's the way they say it every time. Now, I'm not bitter. I'm just hurt. <laughs> I know what's coming. I'm not bitter. I'm just hurt. No, you're bitter. Admit it. The truth will set you free until you can look yourself squarely in the mirror and say, no, I am bitter, and it's affecting my life. But they'll say, no, I just, I'm just hurt, which is another way of justifying your bitterness. I can be bitter because somebody did me wrong. Be honest with yourself. Look down in your heart. Be judgment day honest. And uh, are you bitter today? And then many times bitter people minimize it. Oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal, preacher. I'm not really bitter. It's just a little thing. I'm dealing with it. Let me ask you a question. I'll tell you whether it's a real deal or not. Is your relationship the same now as it was before the offense? If the relationship has changed, then probably you may be dealing with that root of bitterness, if you've drifted away, moved away from that person that you were once close with. So it is very difficult. It is easy to deny, and bitterness is easy to delay on because we'll say to ourselves something like this, now I know I've got to do something about it, but we put it off. We procrastinate on it. And the months pass, and the years pass, and we haven't done anything about it. Here's that quote that I ran into this week that is so, so powerful. You might want to write it in your Bible. To refuse to forgive is to burn the bridge over which I must travel to God. To refuse to forgive is to burn the bridge that I'm going to need to go back over to find forgiveness with God. Difficult, a hard thing to deal with. Now, however, Jesus gave us a model. He gave us an example. Now, I want you to turn in your Bible back to that passage in Ephesians. It's such a short little passage, such a short little phrase but boy, it contains the wisdom of the worlds in it. It says, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. As God for Christ's sake. And Jesus is, of course, our example, the model for us. As I look through my Bible, here's what I discover about forgiveness and bitterness and dealing with it. In Isaiah chapter 44 and verse number 22, I read these, uh, uh, in Isaiah 44, 22, 
it has the idea of blotting out. Forgiveness is the idea of blotting out our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities. And so in Isaiah 44, 22, it says, God says, I have blotted out thy transgressions. Like we would take an ink blot and blot out something, scribble it out. We just blot it out. You can't see it. It doesn't exist anymore. God says, I have this transgression recorded here, but I'm blotting it out for the sake of Christ. Matthew 6 and 12, the Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer, it presents forgiveness as releasing from a debt, that I owe a debt, and I no longer have to pay the debt. Forgive us our debts, he taught us to pray, as we forgive those who are indebted to us. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, forgiveness means to lift a burden from off of people's shoulders, and it is a burden. Anger and bitterness becomes a tremendous load to carry, emotionally, even physically and psychologically. And in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, lifting the burden is said by the Lord like this, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, heavy laden, Laden with what? With bitterness, with sin, with iniquity. And Jesus gives us an invitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and you're heavy laden with your burdens and with your bitternesses and all the sins of life, and I will give you rest, he promises. And this one is so beautiful. Micah chapter 7 and verse 19. It is the idea of burying something, but burying it in the depths of the sea. They tell me that the deepest part of the ocean is this, this off of the Pacific Shelf, somewhere over there in the South Pacific Ocean. And the water is about seven miles deep, if you can believe that. Seven miles deep. Seven, five, 35, 35,000 feet deep. That's like an airplane flying seven miles high, 35,000 feet high. The water is that deep. Now, in Micah, God says, I will have compassion on you. I will subdue your iniquities, and I will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that great? God buried my forgiven sins 35,000 feet under the water. Nobody's ever been there. Nobody can go there. The pressures are so great. And God says, I have taken your sins and your transgressions, and I have so forgiven you, I've put them in the depths, the deepest part of the ocean, and I will remember them. I choose not to remember them ever again. Let's make sure we understand what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not excusing another person's sinful behavior or approving of their evil. Forgiveness is not removing the consequences of sin or overlooking some criminal behavior. In fact, Brant John said to Amber Geiger, I forgive you, and embraced her, and they gave her a Bible, but she still has a sentence, and she has to pay that sentence for murder. So forgiveness doesn't mean you take away all the consequences. Be careful with our children. We can forgive our children, but sometimes it's good for them to understand and pay the consequences of their deeds. 
It's the only way that we learn in many cases. Forgiveness is not condoning abuse. It's not letting others abuse you. It's not being a doormat where people can walk over you and take advantage of you. It's not at all what forgiveness means. Forgiveness doesn't even mean that there can always be reconciliation or restoration. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you can't find the person. A woman came to me and said, I'm having problems, preacher. And I said, what's that? And she says, how do I, how do I forgive a dead man? How do I forgive a dead man? Well, I counseled with her about it. We talked about that. It's not always possible that you can walk away with a feel-good feeling of, you know, that we've resolved all this and all of this is taken care of, a reconciliation. But you can go away feeling right in your heart and your conscience and knowing that you don't have any bitterness in your heart. And so the basis of God's forgiveness is always the cross. Ephesians 4 and 32, forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake, forgave us. When, when they nailed Jesus to the cross, one of the very first words that Jesus said was, Father, forgive them. Now, they had just put him on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing right now. And then he goes through six hours. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But then, we're at the end of the six hours, and he's ready to dismiss his spirit. And what are his words? It is finished. It's finished. What did he mean? What was finished? The debt for sin was finished. The payment of sin had now been made to God, to God's justice specifically. And so... He began the cross with, Lord, forgive them. He ended the cross with, it is paid. That's really what that means. He said the word tetelestai, which was a Greek word that meant the debt has been paid. He viewed forgiveness as being a debt to be paid. And so we follow him, him, his example. We say, Father, forgive me. And then we say, as we forgive those that we've sinned against or that we have bitterness toward. So forgiveness really is, here, here's what forgiveness comes down to. If, if I've brought you to a point where you're thinking, boy, I want, to, I want to do this. I want to get my conscience so clean. I want to be squeaky clean before the Lord. How do I affect that? Well, it's an act of your will. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion that you're looking for. It is an act, a decision, a choice that you make. And don't wait till you feel like it because Satan will come and he'll change your mind. Circumstances will intervene. You won't have a good opportunity. Right when God convicts you, you do it as you, you, you gain his forgiveness and the forgiveness of those that you need to go to, and you do it as an act of obedience. Here in Kent and Clayton and, 
and myself and others, when we counsel with people, we tell people, here's what forgiveness means. If you're going to say to somebody, now, I forgive you, or if somebody comes and says, you offended me, and, and, and you want to say to them, well, I want your forgiveness. Here's what forgiveness means. It means, one, I'm never going to bring it up again, just like God buried it in the depths of the sea. Number two, I will not mention it to anybody else ever. It's gone. It's blotted out. The load is lifted. It's, it's gone. And thirdly, I'm not going to allow myself to think about it and brood about it. And so every time Satan tempts me with that thought again, and he will, you're not going to erase your memory bank, your database, but every time Satan brings that up to you, do you know what you do? You, you have some scriptures you go to, and you go through this process. And so it's not only an act and a choice, but it, it's a process. And as you go through the process... I promise you that in a little bit of time, God will take that away. You just confess your bitterness to God, and then if you need to go to someone, you go to them, and here's what it means. I'm not going to brood about it and think about it anymore. I'm going to go to the Scripture when that temptation comes. I'm not going to mention it to anybody else, and uh, I'm never going to mention it to the person in question again. Their blessings and the benefits are so great if you'll do that. Number one, when you forgive, it cleanses you of the poison of bitterness. It cleanses you from the poison of bitterness, the resentment, the anger, the negative feelings, the sour attitude that you have towards someone or somebody. And secondly, it'll bring revival to your soul. You know, one mark of revival is joy. A mark of revival is Man, I'm free. Somebody said, and I love this statement, we want the roof to come off, and we want God to come down. But first, we need the walls to come down, and we need to get right with other people. Don't you like that? We want to say, Lord, just take the roof off of this place and let your blessing come down. And oftentimes, that ain't going to happen we need to let, get the walls down and get things right horizontally, and then things will be right with us vertically. So it'll cleanse you of the poison of bitterness to go to God for his forgiveness and, and to others if necessary to ask their forgiveness. It will bring revival to your soul and joy to your heart. It will give you the joy of a clean conscience. I was reading Psalm number 51 where David has sinned so horrendously. He's actually been involved in conspiracy to kill a man. He's committed adultery with that man's wife. It's a horrible black stain that's on his reputation forever. And boy, did he suffer the consequences for it. He really suffered the consequences. And then he gets on his knees and he begins to cry out to God. And he asks God for his forgiveness. And do you know what he said at the end of that psalm? He said, God forgave me. And he said, that joy flooded my soul. And he broke out in song. He had a private singing session. 
singing the praises of God because his heart was so light and his spirit was so cleansed. He enjoyed forgiveness. I remind you of what I said a moment ago. To refuse to forgive is to burn the bridge over which you must travel to God yourself. Who do you need to forgive? What do you need to forgive? You've heard the story of Corey Ten Boom, maybe, maybe not. Corey Ten Boom was the daughter of a jeweler in Germany when the Nazis took over. And they were rounding up the Jews, and she and her father and mother and family were devout Christian people. Corey was just a teenage girl. She and her sister, Betsy, assisted their mom and dad in the jewelry store. She was the first certified gymnologist in the, st- in, in the land of Germany. Well, the Nazis came, and they began rounding up the Jews. And she and her family were very pro-Israel, of course, because they were Christians. And so they were hiding Jewish people in their house, which put their own life at risk. And the authorities began to investigate, knew that they were hiding Jews, came and arrested the family, and took them to Ravensbrück, which was a concentration camp, Her dad died 15 days after he got there because he was very old and very frail. And Corey and her sister Betsy were marched in. And she said, we were put in this big room and there were stacks of shoes and clothing and all kinds of personal effects in the room. There was three or four Nazi guards there. And there were these guards sitting on these chairs, and one came to us with his rifle and in his starched uniform, and he said, take off your clothes. And he made them strip naked. She said, I looked at Betsy's little body. It was white as parchment. And she was so retiring and so shy. And these old guards were leering at us and smiling and laughing as two little Virgin girls had to strip bare naked and throw everything they had on the pile. She doesn't say what else happened, so I'll stick with the facts, but she infers that perhaps other things happened as well. You can imagine. Her sister Betsy died in the deprivation of that camp. And then the war ended, and somehow before the war ended, somebody made a mistake administratively in an office, and she was released. She believed it was the providence of God. She went home, ultimately came to the United States, traveled around. I heard her speak when I was a student at Columbia Bible College. And Corey then tells the story. I went everywhere giving my testimony, telling my story of the Nazi camp and how I had had to strip naked in front of those guards and what a humiliating experience and how I was abused. And she said, I was invited to go to Munich, Germany, to a large church. And in Munich, they said, 
tell us the story. Munich, of course, this was 15, 20 years after the Nazi era. And she said, I gave my testimony and I told the story of my experience in the camp and what Betsy and I endured. And she said, the unbelievable happened. A man came up and stood in line where people were forming a line to just speak to me. And I recognized him. He was the guard. He was the same man. He was older, but I could never forget that face. She said, I was flooded with emotion. It was like my blood had turned ice. And she said, he came up and he said, you said you were at Ravensbrook. I was a prison guard at Ravensbrook. I did some horrible things. But God has forgiven me. And then she said, he said, with his hand out, will you forgive me? She said it was as if his hand was extended for an hour though it was just a few seconds. That whole story came through my mind. I saw him standing there leering at me in his uniform and his gun. Betsy, naked and trembling in front of me, and me taking my clothes off. And then I remembered what I was. And I put out my hand and I said, I forgive you. Only God's grace can do that. Only the grace of God can do that. And that grace is available for us, isn't it? Stand to your feet with me, please.